It smelled really bad. And then I started hearing shrieking and moaning coming out of this fog. And then this voice just boomed out, scared me half to death and said, do you know where you are? And I'm thinking, 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 thinking. Only thing I can come up with is hell. Kathy, thank you for being here. I appreciate the time. And the story that I heard and many people have heard online is is undeniably incredible. And I may be going backwards here, starting off with this question. I'm sure you're probably, you're probably going to allude to it at some point. But in my past episodes, when I've had near-death experiences on, you know, there's always mixed reviews in regards to what people believe, this or that. I think that's just the way of life. My question to you before we get into your incredible story, however you want to start, is what kind of response do you usually give to people? Not that you owe anyone perhaps an explanation to prove anything, but what kind of explanation do you get to people when they may not believe your story in regards to the meaning behind it? Maybe they just dismiss it as a dream or something of the sort. That happens a lot. And that's cool. Uh, This message isn't for everybody. The ones that uh, need to hear it do. Uh, The ones that don't, they're lost or they don't need it. I was in a coma for almost three weeks. And the doctor, before he put me out, told me he was going to give me a, a, an, anal, well, an anesthetic, whatever, to put me out. And he said that I would be unable physically to remember anything that happened. My brain would be offline and I couldn't remember anything that happened. So here we are, you know, 23 years later and as crisp as could be. So that, to me, proves that it happened not in my brain, but in my soul. And you can't... Uh, can't turn the soul off. Now, a lot of times people say, well, I think it's because they don't want it to happen to them, you know, so that's why they have to deny it. It's too scary for them. And that's cool. I mean, it's my experience and it's up to me to take what I learned from it. And I was told I had too much left to do and I couldn't go back home until I got it all done. So I'm out there spreading this message like I was told. And when I, you know, reach enough people, then I get to go home. I love that. You know, the way I think about it too is kind of similar to what you said. I've never had an experience like this, but sometimes in any any variable of an experience, I feel like whatever meaning you pull, you know, as, as the person that experienced from it, is enough in my book. You know what I mean? Regardless, what was this? What was that? The meaning that you pull for something, regardless if it's real or not real. I'm not dismissing. I'm just for. I'm saying that you know. Right. However, but that's often enough. So you pull this meaning from it, and so have plenty of other people that you shared the story to. So feel free to start wherever you're most comfortable. Well, let's see a little background. My dad was in the Navy. He was in World War II. He was getting an education at the University of St. Louis, but he enlisted to be one of the first fighter pilots. Uh, He uh, had come from Oklahoma. He lived on a farm for about half of his life, and he wanted to get up in the air and, and do something fun. So he signed up, and the thing about Dad was he was an atheist. You know, he just did not believe in a God. Uh, that was just all it was. He used to fight with a, or argue with the brothers, the, the priests at the university. So that was his background. So he's up flying around. It's World War II. He's shot, shooting down planes. They're shooting all around him. He's in the Philippines. And his uh, plane is shot down. And so as he's coming in, uh, the only place to land is on the beach because the only runway is blocked up 
And when you land on a beach, the minute you hit the sand, your wheels grab. And he did a triple uh, cartwheel across the sand, landed upside down. His cockpit was open, so his head was in the sand, the plane on top of him. He had broken a bone in his back, so he was in great pain. He could not get his strap off. The plane caught fire, and all these, you know, the people are shooting and running around and doing all. So he just said, hmm, God, if you're really up there, you save me, and I'll become a Catholic, and so will my family. Within seconds, some guys came out of the jungle. They cut him out of the plane. They drug him into the jungle, got him patched up, and he went back home. Needless to say, uh, my mom, who had the two small kids and one on the way, they they became Catholic. So my whole life was spent in Catholic schools with the nuns and the priests and going to church on Sunday and rosaries and novenas. And I mean, this was something that was... I didn't know anything else, all right? And I bought the plan, hook, line, and sinker, and I was very happy with it. Now, as I got older, things started happening to me, like my first baby, she only lived a couple of days and died, and it was a horrible death, and it was very traumatic. And I said to God, you know, what's going on? I mean, I'm a good person. I I pray all the time. I prayed novenas for this baby and and she's dead. What's going on? What did I do? Where are you? You know, so that was the beginning of me kind of thinking maybe that God is not the same one that I have been taught about. I, I, I just had troubles. Then as my life went on, I had troubles like everybody else. I had two more kids, got divorced scrabbling to find a job to support us because deadbeat dad wasn't helping and found another fellow. We had a lot in common. We got married. He had two kids. Now I got four, you know, going to school at night, working in the daytime, darn near nervous breakdown stuff. My husband quit his job because he was in this religious group and God, God told him to quit his job. So now I'm supporting all of us. That marriage fell apart. And again, I'm thinking, you know, WTF, I mean, I'm a nice person. Why does this stuff keep happening to me? Uh, so it, it went on and on. I found another nice person that I really, really, really loved. He was really uh, an interesting, intelligent person. He encouraged me to start my own business, which I did and became very successful. He was great to my kids who are now teenagers. And, you know, teenagers are not the easiest thing. But um, then he got transferred to the East Coast. We lived on the West Coast. I had my business. I had my kids in college. I had my family. He was already a workaholic. I knew that if I went with him, I would just be sitting around in an apartment all day. So we decided it was best for both of us if we just, we were friends. There was no animosity. We split up. We stayed friends. We stayed in touch. Well, less than uh, a year later, he calls me up and says, I need to talk to you. I'm flying out. And I thought, uh-oh. So he flew out. He says, I've got leukemia. He was only 53. I was 52. And I said, what? He says, I've gone to all the doctors, you know, on the East Coast. The only thing they can do is send me to a, a research hospital in either Dallas or Seattle. I'm going to check them both out. So it was Seattle. I lived in Santa Cruz, which was near San Francisco. And he said, would you please be a caregiver? I need two or they won't take me on the program. And I said, sure, what do I have to do? So he says, go to Seattle, find us an apartment. He had another person for a caregiver. 
we'll go up there. They said it'll be two or three months, you know, and then, you know, you can go, you can go home. Well, uh, we got up there, we got things settled that we could walk to the hospital and it wasn't two or three months. It turned into almost nine months. The other caregiver broke her foot. So now I'm taking care of both of them. This is a thing where he'd start bleeding in the middle of the night. We had to rush him in the car and get him to the hospital and then go back and forth. We took eight hour shifts. You know, there was no sleep. It was trauma. He was better. He was worse. And he died. I was a wreck. I just couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. So I, I was going to go back home in Santa Cruz, but there was a flu going around and I caught it. And it was very much like COVID. And this was 23 years ago. So by the time I was dating another guy up there and uh, by the time I called him and, and asked for help, I was up on the third floor of my apartment building and I couldn't breathe and I'm coughing up blood. So he came and got me, took me to his dock in the box in the middle of the night. I went to get out of the car and collapsed. I could feel my life force draining out through my feet. And I kept saying, I thought I was shouting. I was saying, I'm dying, I'm dying. But it came out, I'm dying, I'm dying. And he picked me up, carried me in, no no pulse, called an ambulance, got me to the hospital, got me squared away. I was out. I just was out. And I woke up, I don't know, quite a while later, a couple days later. And there's all my family there, you know, from California, from Denver, from San Diego, from all over the place. And I thought, this isn't good. And I was in a tent. The last thing I remember was New Year's Eve. And I remember they were watching TV and the ball came down for the year 2000, you know. So this was kind of a an interesting time to, to leave the planet. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, the doctor came in and says, you know, we, you've got something called ARDS. That's acute respiratory distress syndrome. That's what most of the people that get COVID and SARS and all of that die of it. Your your lungs fill up with liquid. And if they don't decide to drain off, you it turns to cement and you die. So they said, we just, we have to keep you alive until your lungs decide what they're going to do. We have no medications for this, no, no protocol, nothing. You got a 38% chance of making it. That's the best we can do. We have to put you into a drug-induced coma. We're going to try everything we've got. Throw the book at you. It, it's not going to be pretty. We don't want you pulling out tubes and getting freaked out. So you're going to be out. You will remember nothing of what happens. Your brain's going to be offline. You'll remember nothing. It's just like going to sleep, dreamless to sleep. So there was nothing else I could do. They said they were going to, you know, trach me and, and put the ventilator in and all that stuff. My family, there was no choice. So my dad gave me a thumbs up. I gave him a thumbs up and I was out. Well, I don't know when it was, but I became conscious. Hmm. I was just awake in this totally dark place. I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't see anything. I didn't know if I was standing or sitting. It was almost like a joke. It was like somebody put me in a closet. You know, like when you're kids, you hide in a closet. And I thought, well, there's nothing I can do but just kind of hang out. You know, I'm not in pain or anything. And, and it, it seems okay. So I don't know how long I was there. But then eventually, I could see the a kind of a reddish glow was happening. And I thought, oh, great. The sun's coming up. Maybe I'll be able to see where I am. But as it got lighter, it wasn't clear. It was foggy, swirling fog, 
pretty, but weird. And then it started getting a little too warm. It smelled really bad. And then I started hearing shrieking and moaning coming out of this fog. And I thought, oh, wow, this can't be good. (laughs) And then this voice just boomed out, scared me half to death and said, do you know where you are? And I'm thinking, 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 thinking. Only thing I can come up with is hell. And then the voice did this maniacal laugh. Scared the you know what out of me. I just turned to the left and ran into the darkness. I didn't care if I hit a wall, fill in a ditch. That thing was going to get me. So I, I kept running and then stopped because I couldn't see anything again. And boom, some lights came up. It was like being on a movie set, you know, where they they just turn the lights on and the whole place illuminates. And I stopped dead. I didn't know where I was. I'm looking around and it looked like it was in, I, I picked New York City. It was a huge city. Uh, and you've seen these these movies where it's been bombed or, or Godzilla showed up or the aliens came in, but it was a mess. All the buildings are toppling. The windows have got no glass and there's fires and big chunks of concrete rebar and people screaming. I thought, now what? You know, um, I'm standing there with all this chaos going on. And I thought, I didn't see any other people. And I thought that was strange. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to tuck back inside one of these concrete places and, and just catch my breath. And again, I will give this right up front. I never thought I was dead this whole time. Your spirit is you, you know, and uh, it's like, Our bodies are a car and we put our spirit in it and we drive around in this body. And then when we don't need our body anymore, it's still just us. So I'm waiting for something to happen and it's rather a long involved thing. But, you know, there were creatures there. There were semi people there, but nothing friendly, nothing warm and fuzzy. And I felt like I needed to get out of there. So I ran to try and get over a a concrete wall so I could maybe see which way I should go, but I fell backwards and the, and it became dark again. Then boom, the lights came up and I'm in another situation. And one of the situations when I, I mean, it was bad enough to be in a, in a, in a war zone. It was bad enough. Another couple of places were just weird, but the next one, there was a demon standing there a big one. I mean, I had to look up to see this thing that looked kind of like a Bigfoot, but he spoke perfect English, which I thought was very strange. Uh, He uh, had a club and he's just waiting for me to open my eyes. And, uh, you know, the expression on my face, of course, was probably priceless to him. (laughs) And I just stopped and I thought, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this. I don't know what to do. I know this isn't a friendly thing. And he said, do you want to get out of here? And I said, uh, yes. And he says, okay, I got a job for you. And I said, a, a job? And he says, yes, if you do one thing for me, I'll see that you get out. And I thought, okay, well, I got no better offers. And um, okay, what is it? So he says, I just want you to cut down this field for me. And I thought, field? And the lights came up. And as far as I could see was blackberry bushes, high. I mean, like six, seven feet tall, all intertwined as far as you can see. And I kind of looked at that. And if if you're ever familiar with blackberry bushes, which we are up in Washington, they're a mess to get rid of. So he hands me these 
paper cutting scissors that you give to children and says, go for it. I looked at him like, that's a joke, right? Where are my gloves? Where are my clippers? And and he just shrugged his shoulders. And so I thought, well, you're, you are some kind of a jerk and I'm not going to let you get the best of me. So I, I went down and I'm trying to gnaw on one of these, these canes. And uh, it took a while and I finally got it cut off and I went to put it behind me. And when I turned back around, it grew back. And I looked up at this demon and he's laughing. He's thinking, this is so funny. It's like it was a cat and a mouse kind of thing. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm getting out of here. I don't care. Where else am I going to go? So I just started cutting again, but then the lights went out and then the lights came up. And between some of these episodes, I'd find myself on this really, really long road. And it wasn't, it wasn't like paved or anything. It was just a dirt path. And it went, it went, well, when I was standing there, if I'd known any where I was, it had went to the left or the right. No signs, of course. And there's just this glowing horizon out there. There's no stars or moon or anything. It's just this red fog everywhere. And, and so I didn't know which way to go. I feel like I'm on a freeway. I'll turn right, you know. So I started walking, walking, walking. And it's just dirt, some rocks. In the, in the distance, occasionally there'd be a pile of rocks, you know, to break up the monotony. It was just endless. Uh, so I spent a lot of time walking on that road. Again, not knowing I was dead, I just thought I wasn't in Kansas anymore. I mean, there's something happened. Did the aliens get me or what? I didn't, I just knew I had to be very alert. I was always turning around to make sure nothing was sneaking up on me. That was really the best part of the whole thing because I could see around me. Whereas in these other situations, they just popped up as the lights came up. So I I met a couple of people on that road. And I'm one of the few people I know that saw living people in this situation. I had two scenarios where I saw living relatives, not dead ones. And uh, when I got back, of course, I couldn't forget anything that had happened. And so I remembered, what am I supposed to do with that? It finally came to me that I needed to give both of them lessons uh, that, that they needed to have so they could change something in their lives that were going to cause them pain and distress and not go in the right direction kind of thing. And that's really weird when you go up to somebody and it's a real icebreaker. You know, uh, I saw you in hell <laughs> and I have this message for you. I mean, the first, <laughs> the mouth drops open, the eyes go up. What? Yeah. <laughs> no. So um, <laughs> one person that I told, uh, we had quite a conversation about it. It was very plain what what I saw happening in her life that I had to tell her about. And I mean, I'd already known that about her, but uh, we had a couple of uh uh, tense situations. And then finally, I haven't talked to her in right like uh, 20 years. So that didn't work out well. The other one, it was a younger person who was in a, a really, really bad marriage and things were not good for her to be there. And when I gave her her message, she put it in the back of her mind. And it was months later that she got the courage to get divorced from this person. And about a year later, I saw her at Christmas and she came up with a glass of wine and says, all right, sit down. Tell me about this hell thing. Uh, no. You know, she says, because I was in a personal hell. How did you know that? 
Um, so we talked that through and she was very grateful. She says, you know, I kept thinking about that. And yeah, it gave me the courage, you know, to do what I had to do. So that worked, you know, 50-50, right. it worked out pretty so, well. So can I ask you one question between, just so I follow sure. the story. So these messages that you're saying you're, you've received for these other people, you just to clarify, I know you, you mentioned us, so I, I may have confused myself. These are messages you got after you woke up that kind of came to you, or these are specific messages that you received while you were in that? No, I just interacted with these people. I saw what they were doing, and uh, neither one of them, they were both mean to me. I had interchange, I mean, I talked to them while I was there, and they both said very mean things to me. When I, like the the second one, she was a, a really good cook, and she uh, I'm walking on this road and I start smelling something wonderful. And I thought, wow, this is really unusual. And I'm hungry and I'm thirsty and I'm tired. Again, not realizing I didn't have my body. And so when I got to her, she had been making this huge banquet at her husband's behest. Uh, he used to do a lot of entertaining to uh, move up his career and was taking advantage of her in this situation. So I, I got up there and I saw all this food and everything. And I asked her, I said, could you just give me a plate, a small plate, anything at all on there and a glass of water? I'll get out of your way. I can see you're really, really busy here. And she just looked at me and said, well, this is for the important people. Hmm. Just really mean it. Oh, it hurt me because we were really close. And uh, as I got back on the road and kept walking. So um, to, to, you know, sit down when I got, when I got back, I was in a coma, you know, I weighed 86 pounds, three weeks. I just been had a nasal tube. Uh, I was never a heavy person to begin with. Um, I've lost all my muscle mass, all my muscle memory. All I could do was lay there. Uh, they had a feeding tube. I had IVs. I had the ventilator. I could do nothing but think. Interesting. So I kept rolling around with this situation in my mind. But medically, did they, where were, I know you just explained a little bit there, but medically, you didn't, you didn't technically flatline or anything of this sort, right? Did they ever deem you? No. Okay. Comas are the exception to that. You got to be flatline room uh, rule. It's very common and is it is accepted now in the groups that, that I belong to, that if you're in a coma, your consciousness can wander off. Yeah. So what does that do to you? Cause I, you know, I, the way you explained it, I don't know if it's cause you've told the story so many times that you're so calm about it. Cause obviously, you know, what I mean? <laughs> but so when you were there, did it, did it feel like it wasn't abnormal? I know you questioned it while you were there, but you know, sometimes when you're in a dream and you're in a very bizarre place, but it doesn't seem, it still feels like, okay, this isn't that weird because you're in a dream. Like how, how when you said you were conscious, kind of, you know, able to ponder and think, was there any other thought during or after that maybe that was just, maybe I was just sleeping the whole time and it wasn't more or less? No. It, it, the, those experiences are more real than your day-to-day stuff. The fear is so intense and so prolonged. It's not like things are morphing and changing and drifting. And, and uh, it's all like being alive, but someplace else like on another planet or you see the guys on the moon, you know, okay. They, it's, it's, they're more buoyant. And when they land, the the land doesn't seem as hard because, but when they look up there's stars and there's the earth, Mm. I mean, that's weird. That could be a dream, but it's not, Right. it's real. They have to keep saying, Oh my God, I'm really here. You know, or I'm really in space. I'm looking down on earth. 
it's it's real. And the fact that a dream is going to dissipate, you know, or hallucinations dissipate, you can get those out of your mind. But this doesn't happen in your mind. Mm. It uh, it just happens in your soul, which is really you. Right. So no, I had no doubt. It was so real that when I woke up, I was terrified of going back to that place again. It was so real that uh, terrifying is just all I can say. I was one of the ones that have, I'm going to make up a new term here. It's a dual uh, NDE where I started off in hell, and but I ended up in heaven in the presence of God. So most distressing NDEs will end up in heaven. Not all of them do, but that experience too is just so beyond real. Mm. It still causes emotion. You know, how many dreams do you have, you know, 15, 20 years ago still cause the kind of, of emotion because it's so real. It's, it happens every time I talk about it, I'm there. Mm. I'm there again. And writing my book was, you should see the amount of Kleenex I went through, <laughs> uh, boxes and boxes. I was there every time I was writing about it. Every time I get on a podcast, I always get teary. I always get emotional. Dreams don't do that. What is your opinion on why some people like there's there's fair amount of stories, you know, that, and every story seems relative, seems pretty unique to the person that have have had NDEs and near death experiences. And what about the people that don't have these experiences? You know, there are people that may have been in comas or been close to death or flatline this that and come back, and they don't come back with anything. What what is your opinion on that? There's a couple of thoughts on that, and of course, we can only guesstimate. One of them is that sometimes. I know there was parts of things that happened in heaven that I saw and they told me. And when I came back, I could remember. Mm. So they mind wipe you. <laughs> a lot of times they don't want you to know the future. They want you to work it out yourself. You know, they give you the clues and then they say, OK, you got to do this. They don't tell you how or when uh, or with whom. So a lot of times people die, flatline, what have you, and they're not allowed to remember what happens or they just get pieces of it, or they'll go about their day and weeks and years, and all of a sudden, boom, something happens, and they go, wow, I knew that was going to happen. How is that deja vu kind of thing, where you say, I've been here before, I've heard this before. So, well, I did get out of hell. Yeah, congratulations. That seems like a pretty big feat. <laughs> it was a big deal, because when it happened, it was like this instant infusion of love and bliss and joy, just like you're a, a balloon being filled up with air. And, and I, I just expanded and uh, completely forgot everything, everything that happened before and just enjoyed this incredible love. I mean, it's ineffable. Yeah, there's nothing like it here. Okay. Right. You take all the joy and the bliss you ever had in your whole life and blow it up a million times. It's close. And people say that and you go, eh, it's true. So you're so in love, you're so accepted, you're so joyful. It's you don't want to ever leave that. And then all of a sudden, it and all then the bright light. But the bright light doesn't hurt. It's it's warm, and you can you you can look at it. And it's all around, and it's it's like a hug from God. So the bright light kind of started to dim a little bit, and then it was still this white, white, white. But it looked like the inside of like a church or something with high ceilings and. It was just expansive, really. I mean, there's hardly 
can see the end of it, it was beautiful. And um, I did notice that, that there was a big table on the side and I thought, well, that's weird. And there was a huge book, like an architect's book or something, a plan map and it was open halfway. And I thought they were telling me something about that book. And I remember saying, oh no, that's gonna be too hard. I wanna stay here with you. And I looked up and there's my friend who had died the month before. And he'd had leukemia, of course, and had in the hospital, of course, his hair had fallen out. And he was all purple and swollen and horrible. But he looked great. You know, he looked, instead of 53, he looked like he was about 35 and his hair was brown instead of gray. And I'm thinking, what's going on? And he was wearing a sweater I gave him. So I, I knew it was him and he was he was happy and he was just chuckling like, you know, I know something you don't know, kind of, you know, we always used to play tricks on us, each other. And I thought, oh my gosh, he doesn't know he's dead. I'm not going to be the one to tell him and ruin his day. Well, he started laughing and I thought, well, I didn't say that out loud. You know, he must have read my mind. And then I thought, click. Well, if he's dead and I'm standing here next to him, I must be dead too. And this has got to be heaven. I was so excited. I was so happy. And I said, you know, like, what are we doing just standing here? Show me around. Let's go. And then he walked slowly over and he didn't let me touch him. He just said, now, Mary Kay, which is what he called me, you've got too much left to do. Slap in the face, cold water poured over you. I, you know, you're, they're throwing me out? No, I don't think so. No, 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 no. I said, no, no, no. And I stamped my foot. I crossed my arms and I dared him, you know. Boom. I did go through a kind of like a timeout period in this lovely little place and walk down a stream and, you know, I had to cool off. I guess I was not a happy kid. Wait, lovely little place. Is, <laughs> is it, what, what does that mean? Like, a, was it feel like the Still earth? Still in heaven. I, I you no, know, it was heaven. And I, I was like a beautiful, beautiful field. And then it had a stream and I was, it was, sounded so beautiful. And I was walking down and it, it went down and crossed like, mm. like a, well, it went like this. And I ran into three ladies there along the way, and they, uh, it's in the book. They, they were welcoming me back to earth. They were <laughs> telling me I needed to, um, I had to live with the guy I was dating because that's, that's what I needed to do and to give him a message. And they gave me a piece of paper. And when I woke up, I just remember thinking my hand was still like this, but when I, I couldn't move. So later when I can move, I, I thought, oh, they took my paper. But I guess it wasn't there. You know, I didn't make the journey. But uh, then I woke up and I thought there's all these people and commotion and the lights are too bright and I, I couldn't move. And I, 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 I thought, oh, what fresh hell is this? You know, and then it, the people, one of them said, my daughter says, mom's back. And, you know, that freaked me out. And then they're all screaming and they, they run over and they're patting my foot and they're, they're in my face. And I. I was just so freaked out. And my daughter says, now, mom, you've been really, really, really sick. You've been out for three weeks. We thought you were going to die. They told us to say goodbye. You weren't going to make it. And, and you came back and, and, uh, and I, I, and my eyes, all I could move was this finger and blink. That was it. So I couldn't talk. Thank God. I still had that thing in my throat. And they were so happy to have me back. And I thought it's a good thing I can't talk because I would be very rude and ungrateful. Mm. 
But there I was. So what does this do to you? Because in regards to your perspective on death, I know you explained that you felt like you were in heaven. So a couple, a few, I have a few questions I want to go from, but so what happened? What's your belief after this then? So what is heaven? Is it tangible? Like, did you feel tangible? Heaven is God. God is love and energy. Mm -hmm. Everything in the universe and beyond is an extension of God's consciousness. Uh, Like, I've been into the quantum of physics and mechanics and all that stuff, but everything is attached. It's God. And this is really what we think is reality is not, you know, we understand now our molecules, there's nothing solid. You know, it's all energy always swirling around and we we all come down here and and we all say, okay, we're going to believe that this rock is solid. Okay. Everybody believes that, but it's not. Anyway, the whole thing is earth is a place to go to learn things. It's a tough gig. I've heard several people say of all the places you can go and all, uh, this is the toughest. It's got the lowest, you know, density. And, and it's just, it's a tough place to go. But we come here to learn love, uh, kindness, how to be patient, how to, all those things. You're perfect in heaven. So down here, we get a chance to be in a play. We um, we plan our lives. We plan who we're going to we got lots and lots of soulmates. Who's going to come down with us this time? You're going to be, a, I'm going to meet you in 2023. You and I are just going to just get about an hour together. Just enough to, to say hi. And, and when we get home, we'll say, that was fun. You know, uh, <laughs> but everybody in your, it's all planned. And uh, we agree to learn certain things. And then when we, get, when we get it done, or even if we run out of time, we go home. And then we get a life review. And we get to see from the time we are conceived to the time we died, our entire life. It's like a movie. It's really cool. And there's no judgment. God is not sitting there judging. St. Peter is not looking at a book. you got a couple of guides, you know, uh, guardian angels. You've got maybe a couple of your friends, whatever. They're all just kind of, you know, sitting there watching the movie. And, you know, you kind of say, wow, I did really good there. Hey, you know, that was that was a good one. Or I should probably not have done that. I shouldn't have cut that lady off in traffic. Look at that accident I caused. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you get to look at your whole life and then they flip it around. Now you go through the whole thing again, but you are feeling how it inter- it was to interact with you. So that lady you cut off in traffic, you get to feel her fear, her anger, Everything that you've done, now you get to, to understand what your, your presence was, how, the, how it affected people. It's not a judgment. It's not a punishment. It's an observation. It can be difficult in parts. Uh, they say the, the, the fun thing to know is it's the small acts of kindness and, and love and patience and, uh, that shine. That you got a, a PhD, yeah, we'll flip past that part. You know, it's, it's about the interaction and learning to love that's important. Wow. Oh, yeah, I, I spoke to another woman that actually said a very similar thing. She had a near-death experience, and one of the focuses was those little things. So, you know, I, I've always believed that in life, like the little things always seem to mean the most. So it's very interesting to hear you say that. So, uh, so in regards to, say, on the heaven theme real quick, what, if we're learning here while we're on earth— and then when we get home, as you're saying, and, you know, we're quote unquote perfect or like, the, so what are we learning for? Like, if we're just going to end up back home, we're going to go to heaven. 
Like, is, is what we learned applicable in that next level where, wherever we go? You know what I mean? Like, what are we doing with that knowledge? Are we reincarnating, are you saying? Are we just, what are we doing yes. up there? Like, are we hanging out? Is there a buffet of, of pasta carbonara? Like, what's going on? Oh, people, I mean, people whew, that stay up there for a long time say there's there's like learning centers and um, gardens and, and uh, you just so much stuff to do. You, it, it's eternity. And, and you can... You can stay, you can hang out, you can, you know, with, or you can, most people in, reincarnate because it's fun. You know, uh, I'm not saying heaven's boring, but but uh, y- y- you can go anywhere. There's all kinds of universes and stuff. Uh, de- be an alien, you can you can do any of that stuff. Supposedly, we've had thousands of lives. Pardon? You're saying it's, uh, it's, it, when you get there, it's an option to reincarnate if you wanted to? That's what I'm told. I wasn't there long enough. I got kicked out, but I've, I've talked... I've been in IONS for, I think, 12 years now, and I've been to conferences and I've, uh, you know, watched videos and I've had speakers. And, you know, it's so interesting to me that that people in Africa and China and New Zealand and here all have relatively the same experience. Some of them, uh, you know, because some people come back and say, I talked to Jesus. And others say, I talked to Buddha. I talked to so-and-so. It's, it's like when you go, you get this little tiny puzzle piece to bring back, you know, and we put it on the table with all the other thousands of them. And we're trying to put this p- puzzle together, but there's still a billion other pieces missing. We don't have the answers. <laughs> That's the thing. It's, it's interesting when you said that, because I did want to kind of bring up the idea of other cultures and other beliefs across the world that are having near-death experiences and do yeah. their ex- so their experiences do differ, like you said. They, someone's might see a Buddha, someone might see a different whatever they believe in. So does that have any insinuation of what their current beliefs are to insinuate back to the idea of what is real? And are they only seeing what they believe? Does that kind of have some kind of insight on maybe this experience is just what I believe? You know what I mean, as opposed to what is. Well, you're going to come back. Those people are coming back. So I think this is a way for them to be comfortable. To understand, you know, if I went up there and, and talked to Buddha, I'd be confused. So this way is, I think that Buddha and Christ and all those are just parts of God. You know, they're not separate entities. They're like a Christ consciousness, you know, is th- that is the only way that humans are even going to be able to begin to wrap our minds around it is to think that Jesus said this or Buddha said that. And they're, that's, they're emissaries from God. The thing about, I don't want to get into the religion thing, but I will say that I would, I think almost all people that have this experience that come back, drift away from religions and become spiritual. The negative things about religions is there's a lot of man-made rules that had to do with politics and power and nothing to do with God. Right. So, I had to, you know, stop practicing my religion because I, I, I didn't believe in a lot of what was taught. And I, I don't say everybody should stop what they're doing. Every, I mean, there is no one right religion. Anything that teaches you to love and to be kind is the right religion for you. The only caveat is if your religion says that these people are going to be damned, or if you do this, you're going to be damned. God never sends anybody to hell. So that's, that's bad. That's fake news. And, um, hell is fake news. It's fake news to tell people that they're going to go to hell. 
or that, that God's going to judge them or uh, it's not true. And, and that causes fear and it's used to control people. Interesting. So if you're saying you were in hell and if, if the, and you know, God or however you want to label it says, you know, they don't judge, he doesn't judge you. Is there no repercussion for living, you know, a sinful life or doing some really messed up things while here on earth, if you're just going to go to heaven anyway? Well, you get the life review and uh, take Hitler. If he is experiencing every bit of pain and horror and fear and trauma of all those people and all their families, I'd say he's probably, what else can you do to somebody? Now, the thing on hell for me that it took me like 20 years to realize is my beliefs that I would go to purgatory when I died. There was no ifs, ands, or buts. Only people like Mother Teresa want straight shot, man. Everybody else has to pay, you know? And so I believe that. And I made my own hell. I manifested that experience for myself. And the reason I went, if we go back to planning your own lives, I planned that experience. I was a very brave soul. I said, I'll go down and have this experience. And then I'll come back and I'll share the fact that it's bullshit. All right. Nobody goes to hell unless they make their own. Otherwise, you get a life review <laughs> and then be happy for that. You know, that theory, I've, I've never really heard the life review because that's interesting. That's like the most, uh, that's an interesting way of feeling. If you're feeling what other people are feeling, you're probably not going to want to do it again, even if you're Hitler. So that's, uh, that's, right. that's an interesting way of putting it. So what about back to the matter? So you're saying if, if, you're mani- if you're manifesting the hell that you were in, is that, correct me if I'm wrong, is that what you're saying? You kind of manifest that place you were that's- in? You know, that's the best I can come up with. And uh, I've been around quite a few people with the the distressing uh, near-death experiences. I've got a group that meets for that and all. And there hasn't been enough written about it. There's a lady named uh, Nancy Evans Bush. She's done three books and she's saved my life. She had an experience, negative, we keep changing the name because it's it's hard to put your finger on what that is. You know, it, I mean... A distressing experience for me turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me. It, it woke me up. It caused me to look at what I believed and gave me the gift of knowing what home's like. And I, I, I am no longer a victim. If crap happens to me, I think, hmm, I planned that. I wonder why. There's a lesson here. I'm no longer feeling like a victim. I'm looking forward to going home. I'm not afraid of death. All kinds of perks, you know, come from being dead and coming back. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> as long as you have that experience, right? And it, it kind of it goes back to the same idea, you know, when I was trying, I was I did challenge you a little bit in regards to how because plenty of people are going to believe what they believe. I I personally, you know, I clearly think there's meaning behind it. And then when it comes when it comes to the idea that maybe you're manifesting that, you know, that dark place, is that reciprocal to maybe you're just manifesting and creating this in your, in your own mind of what heaven was, you know, just, just as you say, you may have manifested the negative. Can you, are you manifesting that positive or are you just saying that's what it is? That's heaven. That's this. You can't use the word mind. Right. Right. Mine was, mine was offline. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I mean, there was no mind to work. 
it was my soul. So I, I know that I experienced that mm-hmm. uh, internally because it won't go okay. away. And the doctor said, I couldn't, sorry, you couldn't remember anything. And it changed me. That's another thing with the near-death experience. You become a different person. You cannot go back and be that other person. It, it's gone. You're gone. And now you are enlightened or whatever. I my, my hell I made, and it took me many years to remember why I had those segments. And it's kind of common with people. They have segments. That first scene, I was in a, the 1989 earthquake in Santa Cruz, California, under my desk when my, my town fell down. And there was uh, screaming and, and fires and the red glow from the, the dust. And I mean, I took that to hell, you know, made part of my hell. There were other things that happened. I can trace them all back to hellish things that happened to me. And it was such a relief to realize that I had done that, that that's what that was, that I wasn't, there wasn't another hell to go back to because I don't believe in that anymore. What was the biggest thing? You may have said it already, but what is the, is there any one lesson? I'm sure there's many lessons, but is there any one lesson that you take with you the most while you're here on earth? Well, when I came back, I was still a little goosey about, you know, going to hell. And I, I just prayed a lot about, God, just give me something positive. I don't want thou shalt not stuff anymore. Give me some positive things. And it came uh, two words at a time over about a month. And it was to be loving and kind, merciful, forgiving, encouraging, grateful, non-judgmental, and useful. So that's my mantra when I get up in the morning, you know. And if everybody did that, what a nice world, huh? Yeah, how do you, I mean, there's nothing, there is nothing to even question with that. Like there's like, what, there's a way of the world we should be living in. Much easier said than done, I guess, when, you know, certain things happen to your life. But I also feel like you picked, you picked a part saying, you didn't feel like a victim. And it seems like the way you're explaining it, we, you know, we have control of our lives, even though there are external factors. Are you relating that to, you know, there are certain things I think we can't control, but are you kind of relating the control we have to our response? Yeah, we've got free will. We've got free will. God isn't doing anything to us. We're doing it ourselves. We planned it and we can, you know, we can always change what we're we're doing. Uh, Yeah, circumstances can be a, you know, binding, but how we react to those circumstances. Yeah, are we going to bark at somebody and you know, shake our fist at them if they ran into our bumper? Or are we going to get out and say, don't worry about it. I got insurance. Are you okay? You know, loving and kind, loving and kind. It just just keep that in mind. And those are the things that are going to sparkle on your life review too. So you can't go, can't go wrong. One thing in regards to, from your experience, What's your thought on what you would say to someone? It's a very general question, but someone that's grieving a loss, someone that has lost someone however long ago or recently that's going through it. I feel like, you know, regardless of someone's beliefs, obviously going to be people on all sides of the spectrum right now, what they believe in. But I feel like with your story and, you know, what you've took from it, someone who's who just recently lost someone is grieving that process and missing this person. Is there some sort of comfort there? And from your story and to this person missing this person, I was like, oh, maybe they'll see them again. Oh, yeah. They're with you all the time. You got your dad up on the wall. I got my dad up on the wall. I talk to him all the time. He's great at finding things. Uh, you know, if I lose stuff, I just get quiet. All right, dad, what the hell would I do with such and such? And that comes into my mind. He sent me an email. I am one of the few people that Wait, I, what? after he was 
he said, I got it on the wall. He sent me an email. Uh, I had, my mom's got dementia. She's 95. I was down visiting her. It came through his email address. Yeah, 211. So he had been a dead, you know, he'd been gone a year. And my mom and I were talking and my name's Mary Kathleen. I was named after his mother, Mary. All right. And, but my mom hates, hated his, the mother-in-law. Didn't like the name Mary. Says, well, we're going to call her Kathy. All right. So I'm down there with my mom. And uh, my sister wrote me a check and she put Kathy McDaniel on it. And I said, just kind of out loud. I wish she would not do that. I have to put Mary. It's my legal name. And, and she says, what are you talking about? Your name's not Mary. And I said, mother. And she says, no, it's Kathy McDaniel. And I said, no, it's Mary Kathleen. I would never name you that. And I said, okay, fine. So I get home and the next day I'm checking my email. My dad's been gone a year, right? Nothing from him. And here comes Bill McDaniel at whatever it was, you know, and I, and my, and I went, what? Oh my God, that's gotta be a, you know, a scammer or something. So I, I clicked on it and it opened up and it said, Mary, he named me Mary. What? So mom says I was Kathy and he says, no, it's Mary. That's what it says, Mary. Oh, my Blanta. Pretty trippy, right? Uh, there's a, there's an HTTPS, something below it and it is probably a scammer and I didn't click it, but how did my dad get that, you know, scammer in to sit, print Mary in there? You know, that kind of stuff. They're with us. Uh, they're right here. We just can't see them. So I've got a picture of my dad on the, on, the, on the refrigerator with my friend that died. The two of them, they got their arms around each other. Every morning I go and I go like this and the three of us have a hug. And I, and I just say, okay, guys, it's it's another day. And I, I'm so great grateful that you're going to be with me. When I say treat them as if they were there and they come. So you're not alone and they're with you all the time. I had a psychic one time says, God, you got a room full of people here. <laughs> I said, well, I believe it. I call them in, you know, grandma, grandpa, Joe, and all these other people in the morning. Okay, everybody in the car, we're, we're going, you know, surround yourself with them. And they're there. And then you'll feel them and they'll give you messages. They'll, they'll, like the other day, I was, my, this pen was just sitting on my desk and I was writing a letter to somebody and it was getting a little snarky. Okay. And that was somebody I needed to kind of, was a good friend. And that pen bounced up and down a couple of times. And I looked at that and I thought, that was weird. Nothing else is shaking in here. So I rewrote the letter and it hasn't happened again. The pen's still on my desk. He also hangs up on the phone when I'm talking to my mom. If we go over 25 minutes on the phone, because she's got dementia and she'll get kind of yakky. They were married for 76 years. So if we're over 25 minutes, one of the phones hangs up and it doesn't matter if we're on a cell phone, a landline or whatever. And the comfort there is, she says, for a long time, what's happening? I said, dad's doing that. He's sitting here listening to our conversation. He's happy we're conversing, but it's time to hang up now and let Kathy go on with her day. Every day I call her. So that's what it's been happening for months. We go over 70, uh, go over 25 minutes. It just goes, bloop, hangs out. I mean, things are moving. You're you're going into different worlds. It feels like this is, this is I don't even know what to say. <laughs> you know, it's fun. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's the, way, the way you're fun. looking at if it. You yeah. get a, if you get past the fear, you know, of the unknown and know it's all about love, and that we'd never lose people like your dad there. He's hanging out with you all the time. They're just there. 
It's it's very comforting. I hope my dad's not sending me any scam emails. I've been getting a lot of those lately. So <laughs> I hope, hopefully I don't open up the wrong one. All of a sudden, all my information's wiped. Like, I thought it was you, dad, but it's not. Yeah, like playing a joke on you. I don't know if there was things that you did as a kid together or something, but um, just be aware. You know, just be aware or invite them. Say, dad, I'd, I'd love it if you'd start uh, connecting. Do something weird for me, you know? So, you know, at the end of the day, what you're saying, you know, is everything's positive. You know, the, the, the meanings you're pulling from it, you know, being kind, being compassionate. How do you, what else do you say to that? At the end of the day, it's a great mantra for life, regardless of what anyone believes in, regardless of experience you have. I think if you're pulling that message, then I'm happy to run with that. So I think that's a beautiful, you know, I think it's so beautiful and I appreciate you sharing that. So um, are there any last words that you want to say? Well, if anybody wants to hear the whole story, the book is Misfit in Hell to Heaven Expat on Amazon. And the cheapest way to get it is Kindle for $7.99. I'm not out to make money. Anybody that thinks they're going to get rich uh, selling books is out of their mind. But you know what that was? That was a good, that's that's creds to get on a podcast and uh, get your message out. So it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, I mean, you have an incredible attitude. That experience was like I said, for me personally, I know you've mentioned there were other experiences that have gone down, you know, a little bit more of a scarier path. I haven't heard many experiences. Usually it's, you know, it's light and bright. And to see that experience, it kind of freaks me out. But um, I, I guess it is what it is. I don't know what else to say about it. Well, you know, say I'm going to heaven and God loves me and I'm doing my best and you will. Well, I appreciate that. Cat. No, nobody needs to go to hell. Skip the trip, folks. Yeah, it seems overrated <laughs> or not rated at all. I don't know. I'm good without that. <laughs> I mean, life's hard enough sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I hear people say this is hell. So I think you might have, based on your experience, this is not hell. So shit. <laughs> but Kathy um, thank you again for sharing that I'll, I'll drop your information in the bio and everyone that's listening okay. thank you for tuning in to another episode of Dead Talks and uh, see you guys next time <laughs>